0: All right, how's everyone doing? All right, good deal. Hopefully you feel relaxed now after that music, right? Just kind of a nice, easy, calm entrance here. Well, my name is Isaac, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at The Experience. And today we're going to be talking about discipleship. So surprise, right? Discipleship pastor talking about discipleship. So if you're new here, if this is your first time at The Experience, or maybe your first time checking us out online, you typically would not hear from me, uh, the discipleship pastor. Uh, Typically, you'd hear from our lead pastor, Pastor Corey. And what we do here at The Experience is we go through whole books of the Bible. We go through the entire book of the Bible. We go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we break it down. So we've been in the book of Matthew. We're about 20 chapters in the book of Matthew. Matthew. Uh, but we're going to take a short break. We we rarely do this. We rarely take a break from the whole book of the Bible that we're going through. We're going to return to Matthew. Uh, but today we're going to talk discipleship. And next week, Pastor Corey will be back up here talking about the vision of the church. It's a very important thing we do twice a year. It's our vision service, kind of as the state of the church and what we're going through, kind of the numbers and the big idea of what this church is all about. So I encourage you to be here and a part of that because we're going to be talking kind of the big overarching vision of the church next week. Right, but today we're gonna to talk discipleship. I'm gonna be in Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. That's where we're gonna walk through today. But before we get there, before we break down Acts chapter 1, I wanna ask you a question. I wanna ask you a question. I want you to hang on this thought, because we're gonna to return to this thought uh, throughout this message. And here's the question I wanna ask you Have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt so excited about something, but at the same time, you were terrified? Have you ever had that moment in your life where you were excited? yet terrified. Maybe you can remember the time in your life or maybe you're in this season in your life leading up to, to your wedding day. And you can remember all the different feelings and the excitement of marrying the love of your life. You're so excited about it. And yet it sinks in and you realize, this is a commitment for the rest of my life with someone. It's terrifying if you think about it. Or maybe you can remember uh, the season in your life or maybe you're in that season right now where you're expecting your first child. This, this excitement about having, having this new life and, and, and bringing forth life in your family. And then it sinks in and you realize that you're responsible for another human being. And it's terrifying, right? Have you ever been there? Or maybe you can recall, or maybe it's, it's, it's happened this fall where you're starting off your high school career or you're starting off college and you're excited about this new thing and this new start. But then it sinks in and you realize there's a lot riding on those four years, Right? It's exciting and yet it's terrifying. I can remember my own life going off to college. Not many of my family had gone off to college and so it was exciting for me to go away and I grew up with my aunt and uncle and I can remember vividly my uncle and I getting into two separate vehicles, all my stuff piled up and we were driving in two separate vehicles from Michigan to Illinois and I was so excited. We had walkie-talkies in our cars and we were talking on the walkie-talkies and going all the way to college and he dropped me off. And I can remember getting there, being so excited about it, and there's my roommate and other college kids, and my uncle asked me, hey, do you want me to stay the night and kind of help you transition this first night? But of course, I was too cool for that. I was like, no, 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 you can go home. And he turned around that same day and went back. And when he left, my heart sank, and I was terrified about this moment of beginning my college career. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had that in your life, where you're excited and, and yet terrified at the same time? In the book of Acts, chapter 1, where we're going to be at today, I think that's a similar feeling to what the disciples were feeling. This excitement about this new movement, about the, the, the commissioning to go make disciples. They were excited about the church beginning. And yet there was this sort of fear, because Jesus physically left, said he was going to send his spirit to empower them, but there was this kind of weird state of excitement, yet fear. Have you ever been there? That's what discipleship is often like. This excitement, and yet fear to do what Jesus commanded us to do when to talk discipleship in fact the whole book of Matthew the entire book of Matthew is about discipleship we've been in the book of Matthew 20 chapters in and it's all about discipleship Jesus is modeling for us how the kingdom comes through discipleship he's taken 12 he's poured into them he's invested it's about relationships and Jesus shows us throughout scripture what discipleship is all about how he pours into the 12 and then you see he pulls aside Peter, James and John to further pour into the 3 and he's modeling the intentional relationships what discipleship is all about that's what Matthew's all about it's discipleship and that's where it's heading to is the great commission in chapter 28 that we're going to talk about today but the big idea for this message today is Jesus followers if you call yourself a Christian Jesus followers must make disciples There's no other option. We are called to make disciples if we call ourselves a follower of Jesus. That's what we're gonna talk about. How do we do that? What does that look like? Who do we disciple? Before we jump into it in Acts chapter one, a couple of housekeeping things that we talk about every week, all right? Number one is when you came in, you may have gotten a notes handout, a physical notes handout. You can follow along with everything I talk about in that notes handout. If you didn't get one, that's okay. Uh, The Experience Community app is a great app. In fact, our communications director, Emily, has done a great job with it. She's revamped it to where as soon as you open that app, you can see right on the front, you can click on sermon notes and follow along with everything I'm going to talk about. If you're watching online on Facebook or YouTube, all the notes should be on the screen and you can follow along there as well. And of course, those of us here in the room, everything on the TVs, if you don't have a notes handout in your hand, you can follow along on the TVs. Everything I'm going to talk about help us to analyze, to think through and take in what we're talking about today. All right. All right, well, I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into Acts chapter 1, and we'll, we'll break it down. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for just the opportunity to, to break down your word. God, we're so grateful to be in a place where we can openly and freely talk through and, and work through your word. God, we just pray for the other churches in our community in Murfreesboro and, and across Middle Tennessee and in our nation and around the world. God, churches that lift up your name and are committed to making disciples, God, we pray for their success. God, that they would reach people around them and and, and help work through your command to make disciples. God, we pray for our great nonprofits like Doors of Hope and Portico and all the nonprofits in our community, God. We pray that through them, your hope will come. Your kingdom will come here on earth as it is in heaven. God, help these words to be your words. Help us to be challenged, encouraged, and equipped today. We pray all these things in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. All right, Acts chapter 1, 1 through 3 that's where we're going to start. It says, I wrote the first narrative, and this is Luke writing. He's talking about the gospel according to Luke. He said, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. So when Luke opens this letter of the book of Acts, he references his first letter, which is the gospel according to Luke. And Luke and all of the gospels, including the one we're in right now, the the, the gospel according to Matthew, they're all about God coming to earth to redeem his creation back to himself. It's all about God coming to earth. And so when it says that, 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 that Luke is writing his, he wrote his first narrative in the gospel about everything that Jesus did and taught, what Jesus did and taught showed us how to be human, how to be truly human as we were created to be. So it's only by knowing Jesus and following Jesus that we can be truly human, to live our purpose and our meaning for what we were created to do, Has God created us and what we see in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1. So Jesus' instructions that Luke talks about to the apostles are the blueprint for how humanity is restored back to God. It's the blueprint for us, our, our guidebook. The Gospels are our guidebook for how humanity is brought back to our creator. And it's actually the exact picture we get in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1. What, what, what Luke is talking about in the Gospels, it's, it reflects back to the very beginning of the Bible. And here's what Genesis 1 is all about. It's about this creator God who is the ruler over all things. He is sovereign. He is the creator. He is all-powerful. That's what the beginning of the Bible tells us, that God is the creator. There is this this, this unknowable God who creates and is powerful, and yet he makes himself known to his creation. And then it says in Genesis 1 that God created humanity, and it says that he created them on his behalf to rule over, it says in Genesis, in some versions of the Bible says to reign over but to rule over earth on God's behalf. So here's what our purpose was in the Garden of Eden and in, in heaven. And in and, 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 and this, and again, the Garden of Eden was on earth. Heaven and earth had come together in the very beginning of Genesis 1. And here's what our purpose is: we were created to be God's agents, to live in his kingdom and to live on his behalf. That's what our purpose is. That's what we were created to do. Now, if you read much further, in the Bible, you don't have to read far. You just get to two chapters later in Genesis 3 and you see it goes terribly wrong. It was horribly wrong for humanity. And here's why it goes wrong. Because we bought the lie that we could be gods ourselves. That's, that's what the serpent sold us. That's what Satan sold us. Hey, you can be God yourself. You don't have to live on God's behalf. You can rule your own life. You don't have to live under God's rule and reign. You can live your own life. And that's the lie we bought. We can be our own God And ever since then, ever since the fall of humanity, we've been trying to build our own kingdoms and be our own gods. Ever since, and the whole whole Old Testament is about uh, 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 the nation of Israel, not honoring God, but honoring themselves, trying to build their own kingdoms. Now, here's the thing, that that word kingdoms, we we don't say that very often, do we? I mean, we're not like hanging out with people and like, hey, you're trying to build your kingdom, I'm trying to build mine. We don't use that word very often, do we? We think of maybe, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings or, or the Middle Ages and we say that word kingdoms. But we can understand the concept, can't we? And we have phrases like, you do you, pursue your own happiness, build your net worth, build your fame, fight for your political ideologies, build your kingdom, live your life. We can understand that concept, can't we? Humanity has done that ever since the fall in Genesis 3. We've been trying to build our own kingdoms and be our own gods. That's the problem. And how's that worked out? There's been wars and, 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 and brokenness because we've been trying to build our own kingdoms and be our own gods. Yet Jesus' historical death, God coming to earth, his historical death and resurrection, here's what it did. It conquered all sin, all death, all selfishness. And listen, in all the kingdoms and powers of this world, including our own. That's what he did on the cross. He put to death all the kingdoms and powers and selfishness and through his resurrection, brought the new life, new creation, as was intended in Genesis 1. So it's our trust in that moment in history that we find our hope, we find our purpose and meaning for living as God's agents once again. So when we see Jesus as king, when we see Jesus as a conqueror and ruler of all of our selfishness, our sin, the kingdoms of this world, and recognize that in our lives, that's when heaven starts to break in. That's when heaven starts to come. And then we become builders for His kingdom, not our own. Now, listen. This is this is important. We're gonna we're gonna talk some very practical things on discipleship. But before we get there, we have to understand a couple of things. And number one, we have to we have to have a shift in our thinking, because typically Christianity has been presented like this, especially in the American Western Church. Here's here's what the presentation has been. Hey, you have to admit you're a sinner. Accept Jesus died for you on, on the cross for your sins, and if you believe that, you'll get to go to heaven. Has anybody ever heard that before? Yeah, you get to, you get to go to heaven, right? That's, that's the kind of pitch. You just admit you're a sinner, accept Jesus, and you've punched your ticket to heaven. That's not at all what the gospel talks about. It's not about this minimum entrance requirement where I just pray this magical prayer and then I'm good to go to heaven and then I can live my life however I want. I can continue to build my kingdom, do what I want, when I want, however I want, just so long as I prayed this simple prayer and I'm good. That's not, what, that's not what the gospel is. No, Jesus says this, if you follow him, you must build his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is coming now. In fact, Jesus taught us to pray the, the Lord's prayer that we talked about in the book of Matthew. How did he teach us to pray? Our father who is in heaven, blessed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is supposed to break in now. Yes, it's for eternity with God as well, but heaven comes Now, his kingdom comes now. When we commit to following Jesus, his kingdom breaks in on earth just as it is in heaven. And here's what his kingdom is all about. Here's what breaks in here on earth. It's a kingdom of peace. Think about this. We're we're, we're painfully aware of all the brokenness and division and hurt in our society, aren't we? We're pretty aware of all the brokenness and, and, and man, just turmoil that's happening. But not just in society out there. We could probably sit and talk about our families, I, could, I know I could tell you about my family. Man, the brokenness and division and turmoil and hurt in my own family. I could tell you about it. But when the kingdom starts to come here on earth as it is in heaven, it's supposed to bring peace and reconciliation right now. That's, it's supposed to come now. The kingdom brings joy. Not our pursuit of happiness, but the sense of joy. No matter what's going on, we can, we can feel joy. When his kingdom starts to come, it's about purity. It brings purity. Purity. The gospel, according to John, talks about this numerous times, about light coming to darkness. There is so much addiction, pornography addiction and, and, and substance addiction in our society. But when the kingdom starts to break in, we start to find purity in our hearts and our minds. Now, this, sometimes it happens for people in an instant. But sometimes as the kingdom starts to come, it takes time and we work through this and we walk through this as the kingdom comes. It's a kingdom of generosity. Generosity. When God's kingdom comes, it's about generosity. Look at Acts 2.42. It's just a chapter after the the chapter that we're talking about right now. In Acts 2.42, it says they brought their possessions and they brought it to help people in need, to help others in need. That's why at the experience, we give 20% of everything that comes in, we give out to help people. That's why we have benevolence, to help people, because as the kingdom breaks in through our church, we hope to be generous and help people. Heaven starts to break in now. It's a kingdom of justice where things that are wrong begin to be set right. It's a kingdom of love where we can be loved for who we are in an authentic way with no ulterior motives, not trying to sell anything, not trying to get anything. We just love authentically. That's what the kingdom is is all about. So here's, here's the pitch. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've not committed your life to Jesus, the pitch is that heaven starts to break in now. Yes, for eternity when we accept Jesus, that's also a part of it. But it is now that you start to find the healing and the hope and the goodness and the peace and the purity right now, and you start to live for that kingdom and build that kingdom. So how do we do that? How does that kingdom come? How does that kingdom come? Thanks for asking today. I appreciate that. It's a great question. How does that kingdom come? It's discipleship. It's discipleship. The kingdom comes through discipleship. In fact. Jesus tells us, again, this is where Matthew is heading. This is where we're heading in the book of Matthew. We're heading to the last chapter, chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. It's the very last chapter and the very last verses. It was called the Great Commission. Jesus commissions his followers to do this. It says, Jesus came near and said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and where? On earth, all heaven and all earth. He's the king, he is the Lord, he is the creator over all things. And because of that, Go, he said, this is a command. It's not an option, it was a command. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember this, I'm not leaving you on your own. You don't do this work yourself. He builds his kingdom. We're just builders for his kingdom. He says, remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's exciting, right? This is exciting that we're called to do this work as his followers. We're called to make disciples. Is it scary? Yes, it is scary, but we're called to do this work. We are called to make disciples. So let's take a look. Where are we supposed to go? Who are we supposed to disciple? What does that look like? Let's look in Acts chapter one, four through eight. We'll continue on in chapter one. It says this, while Jesus was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. But to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, and I find this question that they ask extremely ironic. Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, well, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus has given him this commission. In fact, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that great commission is the same period of time in which we're reading in Acts chapter one. It's the same period of time where Jesus is spending these last few days with them, giving them this commission. Getting them excited about what they're supposed to do, what they're called to do to bring the kingdom of God. And then you you get this question from from the disciples. And they ask Jesus, Is this when you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? It just said in verse 3 that he was speaking about the kingdom of who? The kingdom of God. And what do they ask? They're like, hey, hey, Jesus, is this when you're gonna make Israel great again? Like, is that what you're doing? You're gonna you're gonna restore the ethnic people of Israel, and we're gonna rule over everyone. Is that is that what's happening? Jesus is like, wait, wait, what? I'm just telling you about the kingdom of God. Why are you worried about the people of Israel? He says, listen, don't worry about those things. Don't worry about that. See, our kingdoms keep getting in the way. We know we're called to make disciples. We're commanded to make disciples, but our kingdoms get in the way. Our own preferences, the things we want to do. And you know what I hear most often as, as the discipleship pastor talking about discipleship The things that I hear most often, and I'm in this same boat, I've said it myself, I've heard it myself, but our excuses become our kingdoms. They become the biggest problems to discipleship. The kingdoms of excuses like, I don't have enough time. I know Jesus commanded us to make disciples. I know I'm supposed to do this. I just don't have enough time to do it. I'm too busy to make a disciple. I've heard this one, I'm not good enough. And if you only knew what I'm still struggling through, what I still deal with, what I have dealt with, I'm not good enough to make a disciple. I can't do that. Or how about this one? I don't know enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about God to to make a disciple. We don't realize that discipleship is how we grow. We don't have to become some spiritual giant. We don't have to know everything. Discipleship is how we grow. But we have to lay down our kingdoms, our excuses, our preferences, We have to lay them down. We have to lay down our power, the things that we let get in the way, to receive his. And listen to what Jesus says. You will receive power. He tells us he'll be with us when when, when we commit to make disciples. He'll be with us. Listen, we're gonna talk some extremely practical things. I'm gonna talk some practical things, practical examples, how we can do discipleship, very simple things. It's not simple to do, but simple tools that we can use. But before we do, before we do, we have to understand that discipleship starts with obedience and humility. It starts with obedience and humility. In fact, I think those are great places to start. If, if you're like, I don't have enough time, I'm not good enough, I don't know enough, that's fine. Just as long as you're obedient, God, I, I, I want to make disciples. I want to live your command. I want to make disciples. I don't know enough. I'm, I, I'm not good enough. Please help me. That's a great place to start because He says, I promise I'll be with you and I'll give you power to go and make disciples. So we believe in the power of God to help us. God builds God's kingdom, but he's entrusting us on his behalf. That's what we were created for. The Holy Spirit empowers us, and then we go. And where do we go? Well, Jesus tells us, go to Jerusalem. Now, before you start to book your ticket to head over to Israel, to Jerusalem, what Jesus is talking about in this context For the Jews, those who are listening, Jerusalem was their home base. That was their home base. That's where they found themselves kind of at home, was in Jerusalem for the Jewish people. So, what Jesus is saying is saying, go to your home base first. Start with your home base to make disciples. So, let me ask today who who are the people closest to you in your life? Who are those people? Again, this is going to be super practical to talk through, but who are those people that are closest to you? Who do you see every day? Whose names do you know? Who lives with you? Who lives around you? Who do you work with? Who are the closest people to you in life? Are we being intentional with them? Are we building relationships with them? Are we living intentionally right where we're at in our Jerusalem? I just wanna encourage you, again, a simple, practical exercise. Write those names down. Write them in your Bible, take out your phone, put those names down, start to pray for those two other people, one other person, you know best who those people are closest to you. You know your Jerusalem. It's your home base. Who are those people? Write their names down and start with discipling them. About a year ago, uh, there, was a, there was a lady in one of our uh, discipleship classes, one of our discipleship steps. And we we're talking about this very thing. We were talking about making disciples in your Jerusalem. And she felt this conviction and this, and this, and this empowering of God to go and do that, to make a disciple in her Jerusalem, which, which meant for her, her house, her own home. And so she went to her teenage son and she said, listen, have you committed your life to follow after Jesus? And he's like, ah, not really. I've kind of, you know, been in between. She just said, listen, I want to make this offer for you to follow after Jesus, to make him the king of your life. And he said, yes. And and they pulled out the baptismal here at the church, baptized him right here at the church, baptized her own teenage son. And she started to read scripture with him. Every Friday, started to read scripture with her own son, started to read scripture. In fact, I just talked to her the other day. And she's saying, man, it was a beautiful picture. The other morning, my son and my husband and I were reading scripture together in the morning. This beautiful picture of God's kingdom breaking in right in their family as it is in heaven. Start where you're at. Start in your Jerusalem. Where is your Jerusalem? Start there to make a disciple. Then Jesus tells us to go to our Judea and Samaria. And for that first context of, of, of listeners that we read in the book of Acts, Judea was a wider community for the people listening. So, so actually Judea was, was kind of the region in which Jerusalem was in. For us, it's, it's our Rutherford County. It's our Murfreesboro. So Jesus is saying, go into Murfreesboro, in Rutherford County, where you're at in the wider community and make disciples. So that means it's where we shop. It's where we eat. It's where we do business. In fact, even our very church community, believe me, even people who, who are attending in this community may not be entering into, into discipleship. Jesus is saying, go into this wider community here, out into Murphy's Poro in Rutherford County, and go make disciples. In fact, I heard it said like this, and I love the way it said. Discipleship begins at hello. Discipleship begins the very moment we meet someone. We think discipleship is this, you know, just crazy ideas. We have to have this massive, you know, complicated plan for discipleship. And it begins the very moment we meet someone. The, the very minute we say hi. So that means every person we meet has the potential to have their life changed with the peace and the hope and the love of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven coming in and through us to help make an impact and a difference in someone's life. There's a practice that I've, I've I have, I'm not great at, but I've gotten better at over the years. And it's something that, that, that helps encourage and inspire me in a practical way to, to make disciples in my Judea and Samaria. And I just, it's a little thing that I just call love thy neighbor. So what I do is I have an app on my phone. It's just, it's just OneNote. So anytime I walk into a business, I'll, I'll write that business name down in my phone. And if I go into that business and I'll put my phone away, and then when I go into that business, if I meet someone, uh, I'll talk to them, I'll get to know them a little bit, ask them about themselves. I like to get to know about maybe their kids or their family or hobbies. Sometimes you have a little bit more time to do that. Sometimes you don't, just, just depends on the day or what's happening, but I'll try to get to know them. And then when I leave, because I, I think it'd be weird if I did this in front of them, but I'll take out my phone and I'll just put their name in my phone and under that business. And I'll just kind of put the thing that, that we talked about, maybe their kids or their hobby. So the next time I go into that business, before I walk in, I'll pull, I'll pull up my app, I'll look at the business, I'll look at the name, talk, look at what we talked about. And if I see that person, I'll say, hey, how's so-and-so, or how's this going on in your life? How, 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 how's this you know, your hobby, or how's this you know, your kid? And I'll try to remember their, their kid's name as an opportunity for discipleship. In fact, about uh, maybe about five, six years ago, I was pastoring up in Illinois. I was a campus pastor, kind of like our Woodbury campus. And, uh, and I remember our very first tax season there. I went in, uh, and again, I've had this practice for years, and I've gotten better at it over the years, and I'm not always 100% at it. But I still had this practice when I was pastoring up in Illinois, and I walked in to get my taxes done. A new area, new tax person. So I walked in, and same practice. I got to know the person's name and, and started talking with them. And of course, clergy taxes are really complicated. So I had to spend a long time with them that first time and I had to come back in numerous times. But every time I'd come in, I'd ask, hey, how's so-and-so, how's your family? And I got to know them and got to know her, got to know her over time, every time coming back in. And about the fourth time coming in, after I have got to know her for for, for a little bit, I said, hey, I've gotten to know you. We've talked about church. You don't have a church. You you and your family should come to church. And so I invited her and her family to church. Now, listen, if you invite maybe 100 people in a year, you, you never know who will show up. You never know. I will say this. If you invite someone to church, you better meet them here. Meet them here. Take them to lunch, get dinner, but you should meet them here. So I invited this person to church about the fourth time I came in. And I, you never know if someone's going to show up, but that next Sunday, her and her four kids and her husband showed up to church. And I was like, wow, they showed up. It's amazing. Just after an invite. After a while, they started coming, started attending each week and started to get involved. Her husband got baptized. One of her kids got baptized. They joined a small group at the church, started to grow and started to grow. And it started with taxes, started with taxes the very moment that I met them. Discipleship begins at hello in our Judeas, in Samarias, in in, in Rutherford County, in Murfreesboro. We're called to make disciples. It's exciting, right? It's exciting work that we get to do. scary to think about, but it's exciting. We're also called to make disciples to the ends of the earth. We're called to make disciples and bring the gospel all over the world. In fact, that's why we do that at The Experience. That's why we send missionaries to Uganda. That's why we go to South America, because we are called, we are commanded to make disciples all over the world. But hear this, this is important. It's a challenge to all of us. It's a challenge to me and it's a challenge to you. God will never call you to distant places. If you're like, oh, I'd love to be a missionary and go around the world. I'd love to do some great things. God will never call you to distant places if you cannot make disciples where you are. If you can't make disciples in your Jerusalem, in your Judea, in your Samaria, he's not gonna call you to some distant land if you don't start there. So let me ask again today, and this question is for me as well. Are we making disciples where we are? Are we making disciples in our homes and in, in, in our workplaces, with our roommates and our friends? Are we making disciples where we are? Are we making disciples in, 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 in Murfreesboro, in Rutherford County? Are we making disciples here. Now, if you are, if you're committed to that and you're, and, you're, and you're doing that work, trust me. This is a warning. Look out. God will use you and call you to greater places. He will use you and call you to greater places. He'll take you to great heights. And that's so biblical. God gives us a few. He trusts us with a little. If we're faithful, he'll trust us with more and he'll trust us with more. That same place that I pastored in Illinois, we have some, we have some really good friends that, that we first met when we planted this campus, Sam and Christy. Great couple, Great family. When we first moved there, we met with them. They were leaders in our church. Sam and his family owned this, 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 this great big commercial heating and cooling business. It's very tied into it. It's a very successful business. When we first moved there, and we, kinda, we, we were all kind of casting this vision of, of, of planning this campus and, and making disciples and reaching people in this community. So Sam and Christy caught this vision, and, and they made some pretty radical moves. I thought it was pretty radical. They lived kind of out in the country, didn't have many neighbors, and they said, listen, we're gonna sell our house. It was a family house. It was kind of a big commitment. They sold their house and they moved into town near the campus, the church that we were planting. Kind of moved near us in the neighborhoods. And they said, we're gonna to commit to making disciples in our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Man, they made some cool radical shifts in their life and did some really cool things. One of the things I remember Sam did, which was, was awesome, he bought this big blow-up movie theater thing and a, and a projector. And he hosted these like movie nights in his neighborhood on, on Friday nights. They invited the neighbors over and their families and their kids to build relationships for the opportunity for discipleship, and just seeing this awesome movement and growth in their life and other people's lives because of their commitment to making disciples. About nine months ago, Sam called me, and uh, obviously I was here, and he called me, and he said, hey, I'm still a really good friend of mine. He said, hey, I gotta tell you something. For years, I felt this call to go do foreign missions. We've done short-term mission trips and done different things, and and, and I felt like God was calling us to do do mission work, long-term mission work. Now he has four young kids, and he has his wife, family business. Nine months ago, he said, I accepted the call to be a missionary down in the Dominican Republic. I thought, wow, that's awesome. But it didn't surprise me. It didn't really surprise me because Sam and his wife and his family were committed to making disciples in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria. Of course they'd be called to the ends of the earth. Of course they would because they're faithful where they're at. We are called, we are commanded to make disciples. So what we're called to do if we call ourselves a follower of Jesus. All right, last part. Nine through eleven, Acts chapter one, nine through eleven. It says, after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and listen, they were they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, "Men of Galilee, why are you standing in staring into the heavens? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven." will come in the same way that you have seen him going. Why are you standing looking into the heavens? Why are you looking into the heavens? So Jesus gives these incredible instructions, right? He's rallying them. It's exciting, this new movement, the birth of the church. He's giving them these instructions of going to making disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's exciting. And what are the disciples doing? They're looking up into the heavens. I mean, can you imagine that scene? I don't know who, who, who said what in that moment, but they're given this awesome commission to go make disciples, and then they're just looking up into the heavens. Just imagine like, what they were saying. Like, he really left. He is gone. He, is, he left. He's gone physically. They're, they just they quickly lost focus. They quickly lost focus, so much so that, that two angels had to show up, and they're like, hey, hey, Why are you looking up into the heavens? Listen, he told you to go and make disciples. What what are you doing? What I find interesting about that, though, what I find so fascinating is that's us. That's you and me, isn't it? It reflects the human experience. We can talk all these great things today. We can talk all these grand ideas and we can talk discipleship. And yes, I need to go in my own home and, and in my neighborhood and go make disciples. And then we quickly lose focus right? We're like, man, I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch today. What am I going to do next? What things do I have to do with my life to build my kingdom? And we lose focus. That's what we do. So here's my hope today. We know we are commanded to build God's kingdom, be builders for his kingdom. We do that through discipleship. And it's, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's scary. But my hope is that I can give Two simple tools, two very, very simple tools. It's not easy to do, hear me. It's not easy to do. We need God's power. But hopefully there's two simple things that we can allow God to work through us to do discipleship, to start discipling in our homes, in our neighborhoods, with people we've connected with, that that we're growing along with. I hope to give us two simple tools so we can stay focused on discipleship. And the first is this. The first tool is the great command. And how do we use the great command to fulfill the great commission? So, so in Matthew 22, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. The Sadducees, the religious leaders, the Sadducees had, had been confounded by Jesus. He had kind of just, all of his teachings kind of threw them off. And so then the Pharisees come, another religious Jewish leader group. And they said, all right, wise guy, if you're God, if you're, if you're so smart, what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing in the scriptures? What's the most important command? And Jesus says this. He said to them, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, this is the greatest and most important command. So we should probably know it. He says, the second is equal to it. It's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And again, Jesus puts the importance of this command. He puts puts such a weight on it. He says, all the law, everything we know about in the Torah and the Old Testament, and all the things that the prophets had said, demand that these two be depended on. This is the most important thing, to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So there's probably some implications for how we use that in discipleship. In fact, I think we use the great command to fulfill the great commission. So whether it's your Jerusalem, your home base, the people you know best, whether it's the wider community in which we're building relationships, or even around the world, this I think is a very practical, simple tool for discipleship. So if you invite someone into discipleship, I don't know, it could be a friend, it could be like the example I used earlier, your, your own kid that you start to disciple and walk through. You can use this great command to walk through and disciple someone. And it simply as this, it reflects the mind, the heart, the mind, and the soul in loving your neighbor. So you simply ask this, what's taking priority in your life right now? What's, what's the most important thing? Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is as well what you treasure the most, what you care about the most, that's where your heart is. Someone doesn't even have to be a believer yet. And you can just ask them that question. What's the most important thing in your life right now? What's taking priority in your week right now? You'd be fascinated, the answers that come out of that, that flow out of that. And as someone continues to grow, you can ask them how they can shift that to be loving God with all of their heart. And how can God be the priority? Or you've asked that question. You can say, hey, how's that working out for you? And it can begin to shift to make God the priority in your life, to love God with all of your heart. Then that soul question, how do we love God with all of our soul? That question of, is anything eating away at you right now? Is there anything bothering you right now? It's just an opportunity for discipleship to get to that soul question. Imagine all the things that we deal with, all the junk, all the anxieties, all the fears. If you walk with someone and disciple someone and ask them that question, hey, is there anything bothering you? Is there anything eating away at you right now? What an opportunity for confession for someone that you're walking with and committing to you in discipleship. It's that part of the great command to love God with all of our soul. How about this question, which is the mind question, loving God with all of our mind. How are you feeling your mind right now? What are you feeding your mind? What are you listening to? What are you watching? What have you been reading? Can you imagine if we were discipling our kids? I feel that weight. Even just, I know right now with a four and six year old, I have a little bit more control over what they watch and what they look at. But as they get older, I want to be painfully aware as I disciple them and help them grow. What are you filling your mind with? What are you listening to? What are you watching? It's, it's an opportunity for discipleship when we ask that question How are you loving God with your mind? And the last question is a part of that, that the great command, the second part How have you been loving others? How have you been loving your classmates, your friends? Imagine if I'm walking with another married guy and we're discipling together and ask that question. And how have you been loving your wife? How have you been loving your kids? It's an opportunity to help live out the great command. Jesus said, teach them everything that I have commanded. How many of us could name all the commands of Jesus off the top of our head, right? There's like 50 something commands. I can't do it. So don't worry if you can't either. But Jesus said, hey, everything hangs on this. If we understand the great command, everything hangs off this. Everything hangs off this. We use the great command to fulfill the great commission. The second tool is this. It's called Discovery Bible Study. In fact, this was started in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, I believe, and it's been all over the world. It's a very, very simple tool for discipleship. Not only do we use the great command, but we, should, we, we absolutely should use scripture to help disciple and walk with people. There, there, that, this is our guidebook, our life book. We use scripture to disciple. So Discovery Bible Study is a very simple tool for discipleship. It's a very simple tool. It's missional and it's reproducible. Again, it's not easy to do, but at least it's a simple tool to encourage us to live the great command. So here's how Discovery Bible Study works. You get one other person, two other people, three, four people. I would not get more than five. In fact, uh, I have a group of guys that we meet on Wednesday nights. There's five of us. And we go through that great command question. And then we go through this discovery Bible study and we're we're fighting to stay under two hours. So I I wouldn't get beyond five people in in discipleship. Just get one other person or two other people. And then you set the precedent. What I mean by that is is if you're gonna commit to meeting with someone, I would set a time and a place that you consistently meet weekly or maybe every other week. But I would set that precedent and say, hey, if we're gonna do this, let's do this. Let's walk through this. Even if someone isn't a believer, discovery Bible study is built for, for people to say, listen, you may have heard a lot of things about the Bible. You may have heard a lot of things about God. Why don't you come discover it for yourself? And I'll walk with you. We can go through this and you can come discover it for yourself. And, and, and the main study of, of Discovery Bible Study is what they call the Genesis to the Gospels study. So it gives you the big picture of the Bible. A lot of people don't realize that it's a unified story pointing to Jesus. It's one unified story. And so the, 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 the main study, it's about 30 weeks. And you start in Genesis and you go through a chapter a week and it takes you all the way through the Gospels and it ties together the entire Bible, the entire Gospel, so you can walk through someone and kind of get the big idea and the big picture of the Bible. So you get to study, you get the people, you set the precedent, and then you just sit down. That first week, and you just read through that first chapter. You read through it with that one other person, two other people, make sure you got it. You've got it, all right. After you, everyone kind of gets it and you've read through it, you ask these four simple questions. Hey, what does this chapter tell us about God? What, what do we learn about God? What is this trying to tell us about God in this, in this chapter? And then the second thing, after you've talked through that and worked through that, you ask, well, what does this tell us about people? What does this help us learn about humanity? What does it try to tell us about humanity? And after you've talked through that and worked through that, then the, last, the third thing you ask is then what should I do about it? How should I put this into practice? A lot of times Bible studies kind of be, are, end up being an instant in themselves. You just end up reading scripture and you're like, that was cool. That was good. But James says we shouldn't just be hearers of the word, we should be doers of it. We should actually put it into action. So that question kind of drives us to action. What should we now do about it? And then the last question drives the great command. The mission of God, the heart of God is, who can I begin to share this with? What we've talked about, what we've learned, who can I share this with in my life? So we can encourage to send out and to reproduce and to make disciples, because that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. The great command and the great commission to live out the call of discipleship. Now, I talked about a lot of stuff. Those are a lot of questions and and, and different things that I talked about. And you may be thinking, that's a lot. But here's the thing. You're you're in luck, right? Because everything that I talked about is on our app. Everything that I talked about, those questions, the the, the great command questions, the Discovery Bible study. In fact, there's about a year and a half of studies. They have the Genesis of the Gospels, which is about 30 weeks. But then there's further studies on, on what it means to follow Jesus. And it walks through that same thing. Those questions are on there. And our hope is, is you can take this and use it this week, you can put it into practice. Start doing it with your kids or your roommates or your friends. You can put it into action right now. And so if you were to open up the app, you'd see the front. You'd, you'd click on Home, Development, and there's this tab that says Discovery Bible Study. And under Discovery Bible Study, again, there's all those studies and the guidelines, everything to walk you through what I just talked about in the last two slides. It's to hope that we have a tool to stay focused so our heads don't get caught in the clouds and shift off the command that Jesus has given us as his followers. We are commanded to make disciples. It's exciting work that we get to do. It's scary work, but it's exciting work. So here's the thing. We know we're called to make disciples as followers of Jesus. But unless we've made that commitment to live for King Jesus and his kingdom, we can't do it. So we have to ask this question today. We have to be sure about this. Whose kingdom are you living in? Ask yourself today, whose kingdom are you living in? Are you building for God's kingdom? Are you busy building yours? Are you busy building your, your career and, and, and your net worth, your fame, your popularity? Listen, those things, those things aren't bad, to be known, to, to, to work on a career and to, and to build wealth. Those aren't bad. But when those are the main thing that you care about, when that's the most important thing, you're not living for God's kingdom, you're living for yours. What's the most important thing in your life? Whose kingdom are you building right now in your life? Whose is it? See, Jesus' plan to bring the kingdom of heaven is through us, through his church, through you and I. That's his plan. And there's no backup plan. There's no other plan. In fact, Jesus told Peter, on this rock I will build my church. And he said, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. It's through the church, it's through you and I that the hope of the world comes. And it's an either or proposition. Either you've submitted your life to King Jesus, and you're a builder for his kingdom, or you're not. There's no, I prayed a prayer, and I'm good, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm busy over here building my own kingdom, doing my own thing, live my own life. That'll work itself out some other time. Either you've committed to King Jesus, and you're building for his kingdom, or you're not. It's an either-or proposition in the gospel. So where are you? And let me say this. If you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you haven't made that commitment... It, Here's the proposition, that heaven starts to break into your life right now. Not, it's also eternity, but it's also right now. That you begin to experience the peace and the purity and the hope and the love and the goodness. And then you begin to build for other people and do that as well and share that to be a builder for the kingdom. Where are you right now? Which kingdom are you living in? What are you focused on? See, Jesus' plan for building his kingdom is discipleship. It's what he modeled for us Throughout the Gospels, pouring into 12, relationally pouring into them, pulling three aside to further pour into and disciple Peter, James, and John. That's what his plan is for his kingdom to come, is discipleship. And this is why it's so important. There's too much brokenness. There's too much pain. There's too much hurt in our families, in our society, to neglect his plan for discipleship. There's too much. I mean, we've seen it. We're aware of it. We know about it. It's so clear The brokenness in our world. We need people on mission. We need people on mission. We need the church to do the work of discipleship. We need you and I in on this mission together. But we have to have a plan. I mean, some of you have heard this phrase, sort of this well known, sort of well worn phrase. A goal without a plan is just a wish. We may look and say, "Yeah, what is God doing? Why is there so much brokenness? Why is there so much hurt? I, I just, I just, I just wish it would all go away. I wish there would be more peace and more love and more mercy and more grace and more purity." Man, there's all sorts of addiction. We wish it would just go away. And Jesus is saying, "It's us. It's us. We're supposed to do that work through His power. We're supposed to do that work. We could wish for all these things to go away, but if we don't have a plan." to put it into action, it's not gonna change. So Christian, Jesus follower, do you have a realistic plan for how you'll disciple your family? Do you have a realistic plan for how you disciple your neighbors, your your friends? Do you have a realistic plan for how you will do that? If you don't, my hope is today that you have something to go off of. You have something to start with. We know we're supposed to make disciples. Hopefully we have some sort of tools now in our toolbox to go and do that, to live out the command to go make disciples. See, Jesus didn't give us an option as his followers. He wasn't like, hey, you can just accept me and then go on living your own life. No, he he called us to go and make disciples. So we can't sit on the sidelines. We can't sit idle. We have to get in the game and be a part of the work to be builders for his kingdom. I mean, that'd be nice, right? It'd be nice if we could just get all the benefits of the kingdom but not have to do any of the work. That'd be really nice. That'd be nice, but that's not that's not Jesus doesn't give us that option. He commands us to go and make disciples. To go. You are commanded, we are commanded to make disciples. Is that terrifying? To me it is. I think about the weight that I have to disciple my kids, to disciple them in the faith, to be followers of Jesus. The weight that I feel for, for, for my neighbors in my neighborhood, for my community, the weight that I feel. Yeah, absolutely. To me, it's terrifying. But I also think it's exciting. It gives, such, it gives such meaning and purpose that every person I meet has the potential for their life to be changed. That's exciting to me. It's also exciting that the God of the universe, the God who slung the stars in the sky and created everything, all the known universe, is entrusting us, his creation, to be a builder for his kingdom. To me, that's exciting. And he promises us that he'll be with us, that he'll empower us to do this work, now we're not doing it on our own, but in and through us, it's him doing the work and building his kingdom. Listen, we, we have to join in on the movement today. We have to join in on the movement of making disciples. There's, there's too much brokenness and too much pain for us not to get at a deeper level with people and to make disciples of those around us. Man, God is imploring you, commanding us to go and make disciples so that his kingdom will come. Would you not join in on that movement today? Would you not join in on that and be a part of that kingdom work to go and make disciples? Will you pray with me today? Will you pray with me? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, there's a couple of ways in which we can respond to, to this message today. There's a few ways in which we can respond. Number one is if, if, you're, not, if you're not a follower of Jesus, If you're like, man, I have no idea what this kingdom talk is all about. I mean, I'm kind of picking up an idea, but my life is broken right now. It's a mess. I'm not sure what to do. I have more questions than I have answers. Come up and talk to Pastor Mike. He's on my right, your left, up here to the side of the stage. If you're in this room today and you feel like, man, I have way more questions than I have answers. I have way more brokenness than I have healing and hope, come and talk to him. Just come and talk to him. If you're watching online right now, you just so happen to be watching and you have way more questions than you have answers, email info at experiencecc.com. We'll walk with you and do our best to try to help. The second way in which you can respond today is you can come and pray with someone on the side of the stage. There are men and women on both sides of the stage. You can come and pray. And here's my pitch to you, is if you know you're commanded to make disciples, you know you're supposed to do this work, but you have all these fears and anxieties, all these different things are getting in the way, come and pray with someone. Come and pray that God's power would work in and through you to go and make disciples as Jesus commanded us to make disciples. You can get prayer for anything, but I'm challenging you to come and get prayer that God's power will fill you to go and do the work we're called to do. The last way in which we can respond today is this. You should have gotten communion when you came in. There's a packet of communion. What that represents is the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that he died and he conquered all of our sin and all of our death. In that moment in history, And what it represents, when you take that, you're saying, I'm laying down my kingdom. I'm asking for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm laying down my kingdom, my junk, to pick up his. That's what you're committing to when you take communion. There's nothing else. You're laying down yours and picking up his and living for his kingdom. You make that commitment when you're taking communion. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for, God, your word. God, I pray that you would equip us and encourage us and empower us, God, to go and make disciples. God, our kingdoms that get in the way, our fears, our anxieties, God, God, you pray you'll take over and help us. God, we look out and we see a broken world and you're asking us to go and make disciples so your kingdom can come, so heaven can break in. And I pray we'd be encouraged to do that today. I love you and I know you love us and we pray all these things in your name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You're welcome to help yourself to communion.